I'm Mark Sweeney, and I'm going to slip in something different on this episode of On the Gun. I just couldn't let this year go by without acknowledging Wonder Woman's 75th anniversary. Last year, I put out an episode for Green Lantern Alan Scott's 75th birthday. It was one of my earliest recordings, so listen at your own risk. And uh, for that, I took a look at how GL's 50th anniversary was celebrated. I wanted to do something similar for Wonder Woman, as those milestones celebrated 25 years ago occurred sort of at the beginning of what I'd call my golden age of collecting. In Wonder Woman's case, her 50th anniversary was celebrated in part with a line-wide crossover event called War of the Gods. This event was orchestrated by George Perez, who at the time was finishing up his phenomenal five-year run on the Wonder Woman title, which revamped and revitalized the character, and in my opinion, to this day, is still the the definitive take on the character. The premise of War of the Gods, a Wonder Woman-centric epic involving, uh, as the title suggests, a war between various pantheons of deities, both earthly and alien, a significant threat instigated by one of Wonder Woman's greatest enemies, the sorceress Circe, to be faced by Earth's greatest heroes with Wonder Woman in the lead. Now, this sounds great, but uh, unfortunately, for whatever reason, and despite some good work from a variety of creators throughout the, the tie-in issues, uh, War of the Gods kind of fell flat. It's always held a special place in my heart, however. Uh, it's just, you know, the concept, it's, it seems so good. It had so much potential. I wanted it to be a great story, a great Wonder Woman story. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's just not there. Uh, regardless, in this episode, I'm going to take a look at the first chapter of this epic misfire, or misfired epic, uh, from War of the Gods number one, cover dated September 1991. First, though, I'm going to uh, leave the history of Wonder Woman in general to more qualified experts. I just want to speak about uh, my personal history with the character. First encountered Wonder Woman like perhaps many people my age, or, or scratch that, like most people, period, as a uh, television character. The 70s TV show was in syndication, and at a young age, I I really had no patience for live-action, hour-long adventure dramas, but I was aware of Linda Carter in the title role. Definitely spent more time in front of the tube for the various Super Friends animated series, uh, in fact, in print, in comics, really, uh, Wonder Woman throughout the years, whether I'm reading a story from the Golden Age or from 30 years ago or 10 years ago, I, I still hear the voice of Shannon Farnan, who did uh, Wonder Woman's voice in those old Super Friends episodes. As far as Princess Diana as a comics character, I guess I've always been aware of her as a member of the Justice League or Another version of the character that popped up in various issues of what was my very first favorite title, All-Star Squadron. For many years, my love of the character was what I'd consider very similar to to that of Batman. I, I didn't have many, any really, issues of their solo titles in my budding collection, but I liked them, Batman and Wonder Woman, in interaction with other superheroes. It wasn't really until, I don't know, 10-15 years ago... As my tastes and collection goals changed, uh, I guess I can explain it that early on, when I could buy my own comics, I was really devoted to characters. Green Lanterns, Hal Jordan, Guy Gardner, 
uh, boost of gold. I would just buy any comic that these characters appeared in, no matter what it was. Was it a full-on guest appearance? A tiny little cameo? Who was the creative team behind these comics? Didn't matter. I was obsessed, especially with Hal Jordan. Just amassing every single appearance, or every single appearance that I could afford. Uh, I ended up with a lot of comics, many great. Most good, and some not really that great, but... Eventually I found myself moving away from collecting by character a bit and focusing a little bit more on creators, writers, artists. And when it came to my attention that uh, Gene Colan did a short-ish, well, maybe about a year and a half, uh, a run on Wonder Woman in the early 80s, it seemed to me like such an odd, interesting fit. <laughs> I always thought of Gene as a Marvel guy, you know, Daredevil, Dracula... Uh, but colon on Wonder Woman was just something that I had to check out. So I started buying those up. A run written first by Roy Thomas, then by uh, by Dan Mishkin. And I really enjoyed those stories. It was kind of my Wonder Woman ground zero. I ended up going back, buying issues, back issues from about 1980 or so on uh, through the end of Wonder Woman Volume 1 which coincided with uh, Crisis and Infinite Earths. And I also went the other way, too, and bought up chunks of uh, George Prez's Volume 2, and that that run just blew my mind. This was a version of the character that I became most familiar with, but it was great reading that Perez run right from the beginning, and it was, as I said, to me, the definitive version of the character, doubling down on the character's roots in Greek mythology and with that super well-developed take on Paradise Island, that was Scara and its place in the in the modern DC universe. And I bought up runs by other creators I like, like John Byrne and Phil Jimenez, and I enjoyed pretty much everything I read. In a, in a relatively short period of time, by following the work of some of my favorite comics pros, I became a real super fan of Wonder Woman. And while I haven't had really any Wonder Woman content on this podcast to date, like I said, I didn't want uh, this opportunity to go by to recognize Wonder Woman's 75th anniversary by looking back <laughs> at her 50th. So as I said, uh, War of the Gods was, I believe, intended to be kind of exclamation point, a fitting wrap-up to what was a groundbreaking five-year run on the title that uh, he helped revitalize by, by George Perez. And in theory, a Wonder Woman headlining wide crossover event would be a fitting, deserving way to celebrate the 50th birthday of one of comics' most important characters. Uh, but right out of the gate, I think uh, War of the Gods was hamstrung in a way, even discounting the quality of the event's actual content, uh, but by the fact that it, it wasn't the only line-wide crossover event happening that year. Running through that year's summer annuals was the story Armageddon 2001, with a nice uh, mystery revolving around the identity of a big bad, the big bad of the peace monarch. So uh, War of the Gods and Wonder Woman had to share the spotlight that summer. Contemporary house ads, at least to me, show which of the two events that uh, DC editorial was behind. Armageddon ads pushing several of the annuals ran through the line that summer, while the lone house ad, which is gorgeously <laughs> rendered by Perez in the series penciler Cynthia Martin, that I've seen supporting War of the Gods, had to self-proclaim itself as the, underlined, 
event of 1991. <coughs> but was anybody buying that? And I mean, was anybody, did anybody believe that? Or also, was anybody actually purchasing it? <laughs> and I get the sense, considering the mess that uh, War of the Gods ended up being, that uh, WOTG was the forgotten child of 1991. Did this event get the editorial support it deserved? I think it's interesting to point out that there was no Wonder Woman annual that year as part of Armageddon 2001. But uh, lack of editorial support isn't the only problem with War of the Gods as an event, though. Uh, the structure would be familiar and similar to that of previous DC events, a core miniseries released monthly in a series of tie-in issues with a War of the Gods masthead slapped above each issue's logo. Uh, an issue I have with War of the Gods, though, is that you know, even though essentially a Wonder Woman story, reading the first issue, uh, which should be a good introduction, good build-up to a universe-shattering event, um, you'd be completely lost if you weren't following Wonder Woman's monthly title at the time. You know, events that lead, led to the outbreak of war in issue one had been building in Wonder Woman for a few months. And even as someone who's read those issues of Wonder Woman, I'm a little bit confused when I reviewed in the early pages when I was reviewing War of the Gods number one. To make things worse, things aren't cleared up <laughs> for some time. Well, next up, let's, uh, let's go through the issue a bit. Beautiful as Aphrodite. Wise as Athena. Stronger than Hercules. Swifter than Mercury. Explore the 75-year history of the Amazon princess with Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, a monthly podcast available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at wonderwomanwarriorforpeace.wordpress.com. So with War of the Gods number one, I've got a really great-looking cover by George Perez showing Wonder Woman, appropriately, front and center, leading a really grim-looking horde of uh, DC superstars. She's uh, immediately flanked by Superman and Captain Marvel. Diana's in her full-on warrior garb. A Roman centurion-style helmet, uh, shield, big-ass battle axe, stars and stripes cape. She means business. We see a bunch of other heroes, most of whom's titles would end up crossing over with this story. Hawkman and Hawkwoman are prominent, as is Dr. Fate, The Flash, Lobo. Uh, one thing that's telling to me about this cover and this series is the creator's credit. At least on the direct edition, which uh, included posters of different characters illustrated by the dream team of Chris Sprouse and George Perez. Uh, but on the cover... The names of George Perez, writer and layout artist, and Cynthia Martin, who did the finished art, are located at the very bottom of the cover. They're colored blue, uh, and they're almost invisible in the rubble and the armor that's scattered across the ground. You really have to look for it. I think that's kind of funny. Uh, so the rest of the credits for this issue, we've got Albert de Guzman doing the lettering, Gene D'Angelo doing the colors, and it's edited by Karen Berger and Tom Pyre, who were editing the editing team on Wonder Woman's own book. Uh, there's also a little special thanks to Romeo Tangal. Uh, the issue, the event, 
opens with the machinations of the sorceress Circe in a temple deep in the Amazon rainforest. She's monologuing beside a bubbling cauldron, she and her followers, among them a group of rogue Amazons and some uh, obedient bestiomorphs, men who change to animals, something of a Circe's specialty. They've apparently been gathering up relics from many different religions. Uh, also in Circe's employ is a Dr. Kazlak from Chicago's Edwards Museum. He's also been helping gather up these mystical items. Uh, from there we move throughout a few other corners of the planet and beyond, no doubt setting up some of the tie-in issues. Phobos, a minor god in the Greek pantheon and son of Ares, god of war, is scoping out the Antarctic, somewhere in the area of Superman's Fortress of Solitude. Quickly cut to Ronnie Raymond, who I don't think at this point had been seen in a while. Uh, he's visited by his former alter ego, Firestorm, who apparently needs his help and wants to reunite. We see two other children of Ares meet, the, the good and beautiful Harmonia, and the downright nasty Eris, who seems to have some plans of her own. And on the island of Themyscira, a group of Amazons, Diana among them, discuss their recent problems with man's world. Uh, their queen is missing, and there have been some altercations with some Amazonian ambassadors and various law enforcement agencies in the United States. Now, it's here that I can imagine readers expecting to enter an epic event on the ground floor, and they might find themselves lost. You know, no time is spent catching readers up, and really provides a, a barrier, I think, to, to true investment enjoyment of the story. The Amazons are interrupted by the arrival of two deities, Hermes and Heracles, who summon Diana away to the gods' extra-dimensional home of New Olympus. The gods who live there are hoping that the worldly Diana can shed some light on, uh, on a couple of uninvited guests to their home. Diana does recognize them. There's a green-hooded figure hovering in Olympus. Only it's not someone as cool as the Spectre. It's the, uh, the weepy, mostly annoying pariah who shows up occasionally at these end-of-the-world type events to shed a few tears and uh, mostly be useless. The uh, second strange visitor is the new Titans, Troya. Donna Troy. She's engulfed in a crackling energy and obviously in agonizing pain and unable to communicate with anybody around her. Also trying to make her way to New Olympus herself, Harmonia runs into a problem. She's taking a route through the underworld where she expects to find the Greek god Hades. She instead finds his doppelganger of sorts, the Roman Pluto. Pluto's ferryman, Charon, strikes the first blow in the War of the Gods, sending Harmonia into the River Styx, where she's rescued by the uh, obscure DC acquisition Son of Vulcan, who's getting his first significant comics action in about uh, 25 years. But still, to this point, there's no... We don't know anybody's motivation. The Roman pantheon just sort of shows up. We can assume it has something to do with... Uh, 
Circe's magic, but even her intentions have been sort of unexpressed and, and unclear. We do know that there's a just a bad feeling moving throughout the DC universe, and this is sort of picked up on by Zatanna, who we see in her San Francisco apartment, who considers contacting the Justice League, but decides against it. And Starman, the Will Payton Starman, he's experiencing some issues with his powers that are going out of control. Meanwhile, Cersei begins her spell, which at this point, uh, still not sure how it works. Uh, these relics that have been gathered are arranged around a, a huge fire-filled pit. And her magic, her prayers to the goddess of black magic, Hecate, begins to send these, uh, these tendrils of energy crisscrossing across the planet. These tendrils are witnessed or are felt in some way by Captain Adam, you see, flying over some city. And Dr. Fate, in her, who at this point, uh, Dr. Fate is Inza Nelson solo, with the original Dr. Fate, Ken Nelson, playing the role of husband-slash-sidekick. You see Dr. Fate experiencing at least the feeling of Cersei's magic uh, from her tower that exists in simultaneously in Salem, Massachusetts, and Manhattan. Uh, we see former outsider Geoforce, his uh, earth-shaking powers go a little haywire in his sleep. And uh, we see one of these weird energy tendrils strike the Thanagarian exhibit at the Edwards Museum in Chicago, then home to Hawkman and Hawkwoman, setting up their tie-in issue. Circe's magic is even observed from Apocalypse, where Darkseid refuses to interfere, though his lackey Desaad wonders if he hears a hint of fear in his master's voice. Hmm. On New Olympus, the Roman gods, whose problem with their Greek counterparts has, again, yet to be satisfactorily explained, have found their way through a secret path from Hades and immediately confront the Greek pantheon, ready for battle, anticipating the presence of Wonder Woman somehow. As a champion of sort for the Greeks, the Romans unveil their secret weapon, young Billy Batson, who is encouraged to speak his magic word. So with a quietly spoken Shazam, a lightning bolt changes Billy into Captain Marvel, who, obviously not in his right mind, Cersei's spell has somehow affected the Marvel magic, he attacks Wonder Woman. And they fight for several panels, kicking each other through columns and such, until a mysterious lightning bolt strikes Captain Marvel and Diana, causing them to vanish. The bolt was thrown by Son of Vulcan, his way of removing uh, at least Captain Marvel from the magical influence of the gods, although he doesn't, you know, he doesn't quite get the job done as Diana and Marvel find themselves floating in the realm of chaos. Just sort of this black, cloudy space. Uh, but there, the battle, the battle of the gods continues as the Greek Hermes and the Roman Mercury are going at it. And the energy released by their battle send Diana and Captain Marvel through some rifts in the chaos. Diana to parts unknown. And Captain Marvel, well, he strangely somehow ends up crashing through the roof of some bar on an alien world. <laughs> right on top of Lobo who had apparently uh, all day just been looking for an excuse to beat someone up. You know, poor Captain Marvel. Seems like a little bit of a stretch, uh, just some way to 
rope the, I guess at the time, popular character Lobo into this event. But it's also setting up the tie-in issue of Legion at the time, that acronym L-E-G-I-O-N. Uh, i got to dig that one out. I haven't read that one in, in a few years. Uh, the last couple of pages of the issue set up a few more of the month's tie-in issues, including Justice League Europe, who ended up facing the Norse gods, the Flash, who gets caught in the middle of the Mercury-Hermes fight, and then Cave Carson, of all characters, uh, witnessing the materialization of Pariah in the Antarctic. And, uh, you know, when you see Pariah, that's, that's never a good thing. And in the Antarctic, uh, we see the release of some ancient monster, which we're told is heading toward Metropolis. So, uh, yeah, first uh, chapter of a major crossover. Now, a lot of setup, a lot of small moments really meant just to spin you out to various tie-ins. Uh, this issue, to me, is something of an interesting, ambitious uh, failure. <laughs> you know, Perez is trying to tell a large, sprawling story, which, in its planning stages, maybe promised to be something spectacular, but on paper it all comes across as a bit of a mess. The storytelling, for the most part, is muddy and unfriendly to a, a ground-floor reader. And the motivation of the villain is almost completely unexplored. You know, we're missing that scene where Circe just really explains what she's up to. You know, what she wants and how she plans to get it. And sadly, the work on the core mini, it, uh, it doesn't improve. Now, there's good here, too. Um, you know, the art, though not what I'd call classic epic event artwork like you would find from, like, Perez Ordway or uh, Byrne Kiesel. You know, Cynthia Martin over Perez layouts, it makes for some sometimes very attractive results. And unfortunately, the art in the core mini gets really inconsistent, you know, more so with every issue. And my rule of thumb, the personal rule of thumb is... You know, the more artists listed in the credit box, the worse the artwork tends to be. You now listen to this. The first issue here lists the two artists, Perez and Martin. The second issue lists Perez with layouts, Russell Braun, finished pencils, then Cynthia Martin and Romeo Tangal on inks, so four artists. The third issue lists Perez on layouts, and then Braun, Tangal, Vince Guirano, Scott Hanna, and Pablo Marcos on finished art. So six artists. And by the final issue, number four, that laundry list includes Perez, Dick Giordano, Phil Jimenez, and what must have been some, some of his earliest DC art, Alan Kupperberg, Pablo Marcos, Frank McLaughlin, and Gordon Purcell. Seven artists. Uh, and the art in that last issue, it's not good. What or who is to blame for what must have been a you know serious deadline crunch? I I don't know. You know War of the Gods just ended up seeming sloppy and really seemed to suffer from a lack of editorial attention. But wait, I, I'm supposed to be talking about the good parts. <laughs> you know, as with many of these universe-shattering crises, uh, you know we get to see characters that don't turn up every month. Which, you know that's that's always a good thing. Cave Carson, Firestorm. Firehawk, 
Son of Vulcan, the Metal Men play a role. Uh, and those George Perez covers were just, just really top-notch. If anything, War of the Gods came in an, an attractive package. You know, the first one in particular is very iconic, that first cover. You know, Wonder Woman in that role of warrior princess is you know, particularly striking. Now, while War of the Gods may not be considered a classic, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, just this image of Diana on the cover of number one inspired or helped inspire some some bona fide classics where Wonder Woman is depicted as more of the warrior princess. Things like Kingdom Come or DC The New Frontier definitely helped pave the way for my appreciation of seeing her uh, in that role of the warrior. And so War of the Gods, it would weave its way through a couple dozen tie-in issues line-wide, and you know, this, this was fairly well-coordinated. Each tie-in was given a chapter number, and there were a few hiccups, I guess, with the reading order, but you know, some of the best War of the Gods material, I think, came out of the tie-ins. John Ostrander seemed all-in on the event. There's uh, two issues of Hawkworld that he wrote, two issues of Captain Atom that he wrote, and an issue of Suicide Squad were all part of the crossover. Bill Messner Loeb so, is also invested in the project, devoting two issues of Dr. Fate to the cause. And strangely, even though both characters turned up in eh, maybe sub-prominent roles throughout the storyline, only one of the two Batman titles and one of four Superman titles were tied into War of the Gods. Though interestingly, there was full Batman and Superman participation in uh, Armageddon 2001, and uh, some further evidence of which was the company favorite crossover of 1991. It was Armageddon's format, which provided the template for the next two events, both 1992's Eclipse of the Darkness Within and 1993's Bloodlines would, like Armageddon 2001, run through the, the line's annuals. We wouldn't see a return to the core mini format, like War of the Gods, until 1994's Zero Hour. Alright, I guess it's time for some grades. War of the Gods was meant to cap George Perez's uh, you know, fantastic work on Wonder Woman. And to celebrate the character's 50th anniversary, or help celebrate it, and with what should have been an epic storyline pitting the Diana-led heroes of Earth against the evil manipulations of a master villain. The concept? Concept gets an A. The execution of the event, plagued with some sometimes incoherent plot and inconsistent art, you know, it suffers quite a bit, and uh, I'm going to give it a C- minus D+. Too bad, you know, really missed opportunity to celebrate a significant milestone for, for such an important character. War of the Gods has it's been collected in a volume called Wonder Woman, colon, War of the Gods. Makes sense. Which uh, reprints the core mini, plus the Wonder Woman tie-in issues. Those Wonder Woman issues, those had some really nice Jill Thompson art. And I really liked her take on Diana. Kind of an angular, indie look. It was right at home in either the sort of slice-of-life stuff in the found in some of the Perez scripts or the far-out, more far-out adventures. Jill Thompson's uh, Dr. Psycho is, for me, the that's the definitive look of that character. Anyway, if one wanted to go the route of the, the trade, there's that available, but 
think if you bought the issues, you know, they could be found pretty cheaply in the dollar boxes. And this reminds me that uh, I've got to find a replacement for my issue number two. Uh, that book got separated from its cover and what was luckily the only the only casualty, uh, comics casualty during my son's toddler years. And I say lucky due to the amount of comics that are usually tucked away or strewn around every room and that's the only one that he got a hold of. <laughs> Uh, and also, I always thought I had the, the direct versions of all the issues, but it uh, looks like I have the newsstand only of issue number four, so no Sprouse posters. I'd, uh, I'd snap that one up if I saw it for a buck, despite the uh, bad grades I just gave the series. Anyway, uh, I'm not sure of all that is planned or has already been done to celebrate Wonder Woman's 75th anniversary, but... Uh, Next year's feature film, that's a, that's a nice way to go. I'm actually looking forward to that more than I have any other comics-related film. They actually get me out to the theater when it gets, uh, when it gets released. Okay, I want to put up some uh, images from War of the Gods number one up on my blog. I'm thegun.blogspot.com, hoping to include the uh, WOTG house ad as well. Really nice house ad for the crossover event of 1991. Uh, if you have anything to add about War of the Gods, uh, remembrances or whatnot, Wonder Woman around this time, or, or Wonder Woman in general, uh, please feel free to contact me. There will be some links on uh, to how to do that on the same blog post. Okay, I think that's it. Thanks for listening, and uh, until next time, take care.